Hello, everyone. Welcome to Queerly Recommended, the podcast where we recommend queer films, books, TV shows, and more. I'm Chris Bryant, a contemporary romance writer for Bold Strokes Books, and today I will be recommending a movie from 2014. And I'm Tara Scott. I review queer women's fiction at the Lesbian Review and Smart Bitches Trashy Books. Today, like last time, I am actually recommending a reality competition show, but this one is brand new and it's very, very different from Legendary. If you'd like to support the show, there's links in our show notes where you can contribute to our coffee or you can sign up for our new newsletter. Woo! By the time this episode is up, the first newsletter will be out. We are currently thinking it's going to be twice a month, but we're going to see how it goes depending on how you all feel about it. If you have already received the first newsletter and have feedback, please respond to it or send an email to podcast at queerlyrecommended.com. So, Chris, we're recording this on November 12th, so I think we need to talk about pretty much the biggest dumpster fire going on at the moment, Twitter, which quite frankly, the reason I'm calling out the date is who knows if it's even going to still be standing up by the time this episode goes up. Like, I hope it will. Probably it will. But like, I'm also not 100% sure. Right. And a lot of people are are leaving, but but then they're not. It's weird. It's interesting. I have seen some Mm -hmm. uh, followers drop off. Because everybody's like, I quit Twitter. But you know what? I have always enjoyed Twitter because, you know, yes, Elon Musk has taken over the evil, you know, empire is is now at the helm. But I have found the most hilarious and and intellectual people and so creative on Twitter and their tweets. It's hilarious. And the memes that people come up with. I mean, yes, I use Twitter to promote my books and to talk about lesbic and sapphic literature. But I also like get a lot of my news. Yes. Immediate news happens on Twitter too. So uh, I'm sticking around for a while and I'm going to like sit back and eat some popcorn and watch this dumpster fire go down. And and it's just, it's amazing. I mean, there was definitely mm-hmm. a red side and a blue side to Twitter and uh, just to get my blood boiling, I'll hop over to the red side and see what uh-huh. idiotic things people are saying, which are truly idiotic. And then I go back to the blue side where, like, I calm down and it's all about, like, puppies and, and voter rights and, and, <laughs> and voter rights and, and like, the rights mm-hmm. of people as people and humans. And so I do like Twitter for that. Uh, it's, it's really good for my ADD, like, yeah. real fast. It's great for me. Um, so I'm going to be sticking around for a while. I will probably start doing mm-hmm. more on other sites too, which, ugh, God help me, I have to like <laughs> pick up TikTok more. And no, I'm not awful. good at that. I don't like to like, I have a face for radio. Okay. I don't have okay. a face for TikTok. So uh, that stretches you me out. You do not have a face for radio. As someone who's been looking at it every other week for the last two years. <laughs> Uh, you do not have a face for radio, but also, oh. yeah, it is kind of stressful putting together those kinds of things. It's stressful. Like, it is very stressful. It's like, oh, I don't like the way I look here. Oh, like, my hair is wrong. Oh, my face. You know, it's, I, it's, yeah, I just don't like doing TikTok for that reason. So that's why, usually on TikTok, mm-hmm. I'll do, like, a book promotion. I'll make a video, and I'll put that on TikTok. Or I'll retweet some of the, uh, or retweet. <laughs> See? Fuck, I went to tweet. I'll put on the Queerly Recommended. I usually, uh, or in the past, I've used some of the little clips that yes. we use. But now since we have our own yes. TikTok, you know, we're doing it That's there. Okay. So, yeah. I don't know what I'm I have doing. to say, I have super mixed feelings about the whole Twitter thing personally. On the one hand, if this is going to lead to Elon Musk burning down his legacy, I'm all for it. I don't think there is a such thing as an ethical billionaire. And even if there is one, it's definitely not him. It's like at all. The closest thing to it probably is Mark Cuban, given, you know, what he did with. I love Mark Cuban. Right? Like that that site where you can go and get low, low cost drugs. Like that is a way for a billionaire to use their wealth and their power to do something good. Um, But Elon Musk isn't. He isn't doing good things. He was trying to interfere with the election, literally, like telling people to vote Republican the day before the election. And he's really bought into this um, 
I've heard it called long-termism. I've heard it called effective altruism, but kind of that idea that, no, we need to get to the point where there's like trillions and trillions of humans in space and it doesn't matter what we do to the people here now. And it's like, it does matter what we do to the people here now. So fuck you, Elon Musk. Well, Elon Musk is like, that's all he does is sit on Twitter. I just went to his page. Yes. Like, that's all he does. He's he's so self-important and he reminds me of Trump. Like half of his so shit is much just so. yeah. It's just like, are you kidding me? So and much I love so. that people are coming at him like that. <laughs> that's that's oh, what I gets know. me going. I'm like, yes, thank you, people who know that he's awful. Yes, it's brilliant. It really is. Twitter is a brilliant outlet, and I would hate to just run from it just because some asshat yes. took over. I mean, there's still it's good yeah. versus evil. There's still more good in the world than there is evil, and that's why there's not an apocalypse going on. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, for me, what made Twitter so special, which I think is similar to what you were saying for yourself is, yes, I love that it brought me in closer with the Lesfit community. And I know a lot of people follow me because, you know, I'm tweeting five of my old reviews a day. Like if you're looking for books, that is a place where you can do it. But it is also a place where I could follow local journalists and also journalists in other places where I cared about what they had to say. I could find my local traffic. I could follow, I mean, I could kind of follow whoever I want, like people that are doing analysis on all the things that are changing in the world. And the thing I'm going to miss the most if it goes away, well, um, apart from all of that stuff I just described, but like checking for like up to the minute traffic stuff when we get like the real bad dumps of snow here, because sometimes even the traffic accounts aren't up to date. So you have like, people tweeting yyc traffic which is like calgary traffic and it's like don't go here it's a nightmare outside (laughs) like stay home if you can so i kind of love that like or black twitter (laughs) like learning from there like that is its own whole culture in a way that people if you want to learn you can just by listening and paying attention and boosting voices in the way that it brought people together when governments were doing terrible things all over the world and i just think that would be an incredible loss and it makes me quite sad so yeah i am also not leaving um i'm not leaving my account the qr account the the, like the podcast account is going to be up until the bitter end but as a result because it is possible and we know that a lot of you that listen to us do follow us on twitter and that's how you're often finding out that we have new episodes or checking episodes out we also recognize that, you know, Twitter may not be around forever. If if enough of the right people get fired, it literally might just stop working and not start again. And so as a result, we've done a few things, um, which we've kind of mentioned. So we started the newsletter, for sure. We also created accounts on TikTok and on Tumblr. So there's links in the show notes for that, so that if you want to know as new things come up, just follow us and you'll see it there. So yeah. Any last thoughts on Twitter? You know, it's it's interesting because you talked about, you know, how last minute information and you're talking about how it's important to learn about uh, different cultures, which it is, and mm-hmm. the weather and the, the uh, up to date minute by minute, you know, traffic and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if Minnie Driver saw that I, you know, tweeted her today. I mean, that's... <laughs> But also that. I use it for entertainment. Like, it is a true entertainment thing for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, but true also, like, in the elections, that's where I went. You know, I went to Twitter because it was up to date, up to date. I do get breaking news from CNN. Like, it'll, like, Mm -hmm. pop up on my phone. But Twitter is immediate. I mean, and and it's like 20 people at the same time say something about it. So, you know, okay, so this really did happen. Whereas CNN or any of the other outlets, you know, it it might take them a little bit of time to get to it. But Twitter is always immediate. It's super fast. So Well, and you get to curate the voices that you're listening to, which depending on how you go about it, it can be bad if you're creating kind of this echo chamber where you're only listening to voices like yours, which obviously you're not because you said you go piss yourself off (laughs) by going (laughs) to the Republican Twitter. But... As news outlets, and especially CNN, are trending more and more and more right wing, like where else are we supposed to go for these voices? I have been signing up for so many Substacks and Mediums and Patreons and all this. And it's like, you know, if Twitter goes away, somebody's going to need to bring back like a real good RSS feed reader or something. Because like nothing was good enough for me after Google Reader died. Mm. I am pausing. 
Oh no, I'm sorry. No, that, I just uh, <laughs> that was my full thought. That, that, was, that full was the full thought. <laughs> I was just I was uh, holding up my finger because I know that there was talk about a a new app out there, uh, and I'm looking for it because oh I Mastodon. Down- yes, yes, I downloaded. Yeah. I'm like, what in the living fuck am I doing on this? I have no idea. Like so, I looked at it, and you have to pick like what you're interested in, and it's like ah, yes, it's different languages, lot. and I just I don't, what the fuck am I doing wrong? A lot of people from Twitter are making their way over to Mastodon. I've created a personal account. I have not created a QR account yet, or we have not created a QR account yet. I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're going to, just so for people listening, we might, it's hard to say, but right now between the newsletter, TikTok and Tumblr, that's enough kind of to see if it makes sense for us. If you feel very, very, very strongly about us joining Mastodon and posting updates there, Again, you can let us know at podcast at queerlyrecommended.com if we have enough people requesting it, then yes, that is absolutely something we can do. For my own personal account, I'm not tweeting reviews yet. I'm mostly just seeing like who I should be following, how does it work, paying right. attention. Right. But that might be something that I end up doing, especially if there are any um any of the like auto scheduling platforms uh that currently allow you to schedule like tweets and Facebook posts and Instagram posts and TikToks and the like. If any of them add Mastodon, then that might be something that I start doing. But for now, just checking it out. You can find me on there. We can put the link to that in the show notes, too. So, Chris. Yes? What have you been reading or watching? So, I would like to say that the fifth season of The Handmaid's Tale came to an end. It was the cheerful season, right? Was there a musical episode? (laughs) Rainbows? Song and dance? (laughs) So here's the deal. So this whole time, I thought that that was it. It was the series finale. This was the big thing. And Mm -hmm. I was okay with the ending. I was okay with the ending. Hmm. I mean, there left a lot going on. I was like, well, I'm okay with this. I mean, as good as I could be okay with it. And then one of my friends said, no, they're, they're filming a season six. So there's oh. a whole other season that's coming. So it really wasn't the uh, the series finale like they had said a year ago. when they were like, oh, this is the last season. This is the last season. Interesting. Yeah. So I don't. Is next season maybe the vigilante we're going to burn it all down season? It could be. That would be very nice, well wouldn't it? Be. Yeah. And, and I never read the book, so I really don't honestly know how it ends. I'm just going with the flow on this one. It's one of those where. You know how I am. I, I'm loyal to a fault. It's like I have to. Yeah. I'm so loyal to these shows that I have to watch them. I mean, I rarely jump ship on a show. Mm-hmm. If if I'm in it for this long, I'm in it for for a long time. But I mean, sometimes I'll dump a show after like two episodes or one episode. That's different than watching it for seasons and then just bailing. I can't do that. Oh yeah. So Handmaid's yeah. Tale. So apparently mm-hmm. there's yet yet another season. So hang tight. Uh oh, the Great British Baking Show. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's simple. It's like a hug, a warm hug. Yeah. And I love that there is there are queer contestants, and they are so embracing of queer uh, contestants. I love that. Yes, I love it. So I much. do too. They've kind of and they have pretty much all along, haven't they? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, like one of the char- one of the, I have some characters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of the contestants is queer, and so and I was mm-hmm. like, ah, I didn't know that. Debbie's like, yeah, didn't you? See? We watched the very, you know, at the very beginning, he talked about his partner and stuff like that. And I like, and I love that it's so normalized that even I didn't recognize it. Like, oh, queer. Yeah. It was just, it was so yeah. normal. And I love that. And I wish I had that. And so, speaking of series finale, finales? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds weird. I'm tired. Fin- finale. Um, finales. <laughs> speaking of finales, uh-huh. The Walking Dead is ending, and I'm watching the finale tonight. Oh, like, no. it happens tonight. Are you going to be okay? I'm not no. okay. I'm not. You know, it's weird that I get sad when a series ends. Like, I get emotional over, you know, I got emotional over Game of Thrones when that ended. And blackish, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, Breaking Bad and Killing Eve. We were, we were angry, mad mm-hmm. at that, and sad. Uh, Orange is the New Black and Scrubs. I mean, I cried. You know, so yes, I'm gonna be a wreck by the time this podcast drops. Like, I'm just gonna be a wreck because like my apocalyptic life is ending. But okay. I know there's offshoots from that. If you had to pick one, what is? the most impactful and or best series finale you've ever seen? 
Ah, that's so hard for all different reasons. Like for all different reasons. So See, I feel like that one's easy for me. You think that one's easy? Yeah. You, you go ahead and answer. The good place. Oh, see, I didn't, Hands I didn't finish that. Oh my god. So it took two tries to watch The Good Place for me. Okay. So the first time I saw it, I was like, this is silly. This is and so I bailed kind of near the beginning of the first season. And then I forget which wave of the pandemic it was. Oh, it was when my whole family got COVID last September. <laughs> That's when it was. And we couldn't go anywhere for two weeks and we couldn't do anything. And so I was like, well, I guess it's a good time for this because I had finished Shit's Creek finally and was like, what am I going to watch? And so I watched The Good Place and I just kept going and it got better and smarter as it went along. Um, of course, there's like a big twist that's revealed at the at the end of the first season, but then it just keeps going from there. And that finale, I like I'm getting choked up thinking about it. I cried. Aww. I cried so hard. I cried every time I thought about it for three days because it was I it was that. so perfect. It was so it was. It was just a perfect finale. It was perfect for all of those characters. And I can't explain or describe any of it because you really have to watch the whole show. But it's so good. That's my one. That's my... So That's if, pe one. if people haven't watched it, you should watch The Good Place and definitely watch it to the finale. And let me know if it made you cry as hard as it made me cry. So I think, like, the funniest ending ever was... Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's Newhart. That was the funniest ever ever the funniest mm -hmm. ever mm -hmm. but as far as the ones that i've I, i'm just i'm so emotional I'll, I'll i cry over everything i really do mm -hmm. so they all impact me a different way like humorous ones you know scrubs it was just it was such a brilliant show and i i don't know how many seasons it was on it was on for a very long time a lot like seven seasons yeah. or eight or something you know and just having to say goodbye to those people yeah you know, they they're in your life for once a week or like if you binged it for whatever yes that was just really sad. And like Blackish, you learned so much on that show. And mm -hmm. uh, so I cried at that. And even though they have offshoots from that one, yeah. it, it, the original, it's always the original is always the best. Yes. So, you know, it's just, I just, I get just so, you know, me, especially with The Walking Dead. I've yeah. seen it since the very beginning. Yeah. And so I, that'll, I think I can watch it early tonight because I have AMC Plus because... That's what I do. All right. What's well, The Walking Dead? Text me when you're done. Yes. Let me know if you're doing I will. okay. <laughs> I will. And then, so I just, like, right before the podcast, I was killing time. And so I went to Netflix because I started up Manifest and I was watching that. And it's just one of those filler type things. It's mm -hmm. not great or anything. But Zach Efron's Down to Earth season uh, series started up again. I think, mm -hmm. I don't know if this is season two or three, but I'm like, I just love Zach Efron. Yeah. And I love the places he goes and what he gets to do. And so I like watching it. So that started. So I just watched an episode right before I came here. What about you? What have you been watching or reading lately? Uh, okay. So, of course, I continue with any drag race that is on TV. And right now that is still <laughs> Drag Race UK. I actually think this is probably the strongest cast of any of the seasons across any of them that I've seen. Like, it just... From that first episode, I was like, okay, maybe these two. And they were out first and second. And then I was like, I have no idea who's going to be in the top four. It could be anyone. And now I just watched what was supposed to be the episode to bring us the top four. There was a double Shantae, which means both of them stayed after the lip sync. I have no idea who's going to win this. I know who I think <laughs> I would like to see win this. But I have no idea for sure who's going to win it. And then I'm very excited because after that is going to be Canada's Drag Race versus the world. So it's bringing back. It's kind of like an all-stars. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's like an international all-stars version, which is super fun. So a couple that I really like from the US are coming. A couple that I really love from the UK are coming. Of course, some from Canada will be there because it's being hosted in Canada. Right. But Last se so season three of the Drag Race UK had a queen called Victoria Scone, and she was the first ever kind of referred to as a bio queen because she's a cisgender woman. She's a lesbian, and she was the first across the entire any of them, any of them to have a cisgender woman 
um, competing, and she was so fucking incredible. Her makeup, like she just, oh, such a good drag queen. But she had an either a knee or an ankle injury, so she had to leave after only a few episodes. And everybody's like, "Are you going to be back? Are you going to be back?" And she's like, "No, I'm not doing season four. Which was just like this what? Because usually when a queen is injured and has to go home, she's invited to come back the following season to compete again. And I was really sad about it until I found out she's going to be in Canada versus the world. That's probably why she didn't do season four. So I'm very excited about that. That's going, oh God, I hope it's going to be good. I was about to say it's going to be good. Hard to say. I felt like UK versus the world was so-so. So I'm hopeful <laughs> though. I Since we last talked, I finished the rest of Legendary because I had only seen the first season when I recommended it. And it's still good. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, the houses are incredible, but there was a massive shift in vibe because the first season they got as far as like the second last episode before covid hit and so they had to do the finale like without an audience there and so there was always this like massive audience cheering people on and like different houses would have their own kind of chance that they would do like it felt very it felt very sportsy but queer <laughs> i guess <laughs> And of course, with COVID, they couldn't do that in season two. And then they bring back an audience in season three, but a little bit smaller. And yeah, it's great. It's just, it's so good. If you're at all into voguing or, you know, dance competition shows, it's very, very good. And then I finished a book and I started a book. So the book that I finished, I listened to it. And it's called What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat by Aubrey Gordon. Aubrey Gordon is one of the two hosts of my favorite podcast, the Maintenance Phase Podcast. And it's a an excellent book basically about the problem of anti-fat bias and what that does. Because, you know, the reality is science has showed us again and again and again that it is almost impossible to lose weight and to keep weight off. Like to do that on your own, there is somewhere, depending on the study, between a 2 and a 5% chance that that is something that people can do. And because as a society, we treat fatness as a health crisis and a moral failure, fat people, and especially very fat people, get incredible abuse of all different kinds, whether it's from family, from friends, from the medical community, from, you know, airline attendants, from, you know, kind of anywhere you go, you're not really safe. You know, I've had... I, I have, have not just had, I have many fat people in my life. I grew up with a fat mom. I have a lot of people in my family that are fat. And so it's kind of something that I've always sort of been aware of and tried to keep biases where they, where they should be or, or deal with them as they should be dealt with. But I appreciated reading this because she brought kind of other lenses on top of it. So like I knew, I knew about medical biases for sure, because I've heard a lot about that <clears throat> from people in my life, but also hearing about, as an example in terms of like how medical uh how medications are studied and how they're often not studied with fat bodies and so you end up with that problem uh i think most people know about this but that problem of like if you take plan b as an emergency contraceptive it might not work if you're over 165 pounds or something like that wow so that one i knew about but what i didn't know about is as another example it can impact trans people accessing healthcare they can be held back from surgeries, from hormones, from all kinds of things by doctors who are saying, well, you need to lose weight before you can have any of this. Except again, like I said, losing weight and keeping weight off isn't, it's not that simple. It's not just calories in, calories out for every person. And all these crash and burn diets, you just end up gaining more weight. So it's a really, really excellent book. I highly recommend it. I almost made it an official recommendation because Aubrey Gordon is also queer. But it's not, it's a book by a queer person that includes impacts on queer people. But I wouldn't say this is necessarily a queer book, if that makes sense. Um, so that's yeah. the only reason it's not there. And then I read another book, or, or I am reading another book, which I'm just going to go ahead and say everybody should get this. It's definitely not queer, which is why I'm talking about it here and not as an official recommendation. And it's called Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hersey. Chris, have you heard of the nap ministry before? I have not. Okay, so Trisha Hersey is the founder of the NAP Ministry. I believe it's a nonprofit or something like that. But I've been following it for a while because I really like the things that it's saying. Like it's 
quite, you know, anti-capitalist. We need to rest. We need to prioritize ourselves. We shouldn't just grind ourselves into the ground in the name of capitalism and all that. And I saw she had a book coming out and I was excited about it and I bought it. But before I even had a chance to read it or start reading it, I'm not done yet. I saw that she's on Glennon Doyle's podcast. The one she does with her wife, Abby Wambach. It's called We Can Do Hard Things. And if you do nothing else, even if you don't read the book, listen to that podcast episode at least. But I say, you know, do both because it's always good to send, you know, some money the way of an author who's doing very good things. But the central premise of this book is that white supremacy and capitalism have kind of come together in this holy marriage to create hustle culture, this idea that we need to be grinding all the time. If you're not working, you need a side hustle, or you need to get another job, or you need to, you know, like whatever it is. And this keeps us all tired. It keeps us exhausted. It's causing burnout. And when we're burned out, we don't have the time or the energy to think about how we are being hurt by the various systems that have been set up to continue to prop up white supremacy and capitalism and all of that. Like the idea the idea that our value is bound up in what we produce is just false and unfair. And it doesn't benefit us. It benefits the people like Elon Musk. Right. And so what Trisha Hersey is saying is that we need to take the time and the space to rest. We need to be able to say I have to live within capitalism, but capitalism doesn't own me. And some of how we can even do that is just by taking a nap. Like it's this simple, <laughs> beautiful. And in the beginning, she talks about the story about her grandmother that every single day, her grandmother would sit back on her couch and close her eyes for 30 minutes. And you know, the, like the grandkids would be like, oh, grandma's, grandma's sleeping. And she's like, I'm not sleeping. I'm resting my eyes. But she would take that 30 minutes a day to rest her eyes. And when you take that time to just pause and kind of like disconnect from everything else and have that rest, you can be more creative. You can be more energized. You can solve problems better because when your mind wanders, it can do all of these things. And I've actually been trying it like and even just in 10 minutes first, not even 30. And it is incredible. The things like by not even thinking about something. Then like the solution to a problem I've been trying to solve will just surface in my mind. It's incredible. So yes, I highly recommend this book. You'll notice when you read it that there's a lot of repetition of phrases of thoughts. And that's something that's by design. She talks about that in that podcast because this is a manifesto. And that repetition helps kind of like lock it and bake it into your brain. And so it's really deliberately done and it's really beautifully done. And I just think like what a gift that in an age where everybody is still saying grind, 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 hustle, 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 we have voices like Trisha Hersey's telling people, no, you're enough. You are enough exactly as you are, no matter how much you produce and you deserve to rest. And it's only through rest that we're going to have this liberation from these hateful ideas and patterns and ways of thinking and living. That's actually very important because I took off uh, all of October and November um, mm -hmm. from writing and just to like decompress and take time for myself and think about things. Mm -hmm. And it's nice because actually Heather Blackmore, she came to visit several years ago and she has that philosophy, just like if I'm sitting on the couch and I look like I'm not doing anything, I really am. I'm thinking mm -hmm. about things. I'm thinking about my writing or I'm, I'm working through things. But she also believed in the whole take some time out, you know, and just not do anything other than just relax, relax your mind, relax mm -hmm. everything. So that's so at least I know of people who are using that approach to, to life and to um, just getting through all of this. So, yeah. So I'm taking time off, too. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I might have to do something like that and listen to the podcast at least. So thank you for that. Yeah. All right, Chris, what yes. is your official recommendation this week? So this week I watched a movie and it's called Life Partners and it's from 2014. And I always worry about the movies that I recommend that are like close to 10 years old, like mm -hmm. if they've held up, you know, and actually this is a really good movie. It's called Life Partners and here's the little blurb. 
a 29-year-old lawyer, Paige, uh, played by Jillian Jacobs, and her lesbian best friend, Sasha, played by Leighton Meester, experience a dramatic shift in their longtime bond after one enters a serious relationship. So, as you very well know, I am mm-hmm. a true sucker for a book or a movie about relationships. You know, I, I mean, that's how I write my books, based on the emotional toll of relationships. And this was exactly what I needed and what I wanted. So we have Sasha, who she's 29 years old. She's the lesbian in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a, a solid friendship for years and years and years. So Sasha's the lesbian. And it's interesting because she's she's 29 years old. And she keeps telling herself, I'm a musician. I'm going to go write a bunch of really cool songs. I'm working on an album. But really, she's just a shitty receptionist somewhere. Her parents send her money to help mm-hmm. cover the costs of, of living in L.A. And they keep at, you know, her mom's like, hey, how's that album coming? How's it going? You know, they, her parents believe so much in her. And she's not doing anything other than just going out and having a good time and jumping from, you know, mm-hmm. lesbian bed to lesbian bed to lesbian bed. So she's she's spending more time focusing on her, like, let's have fun, than actually, like, focusing on her life and her future. Whereas her friend, Paige, who's her bestie, that's, they're, mm-hmm. they're, you couldn't have asked for two, you couldn't have picked for two different people. Paige is, she's a lawyer, she has her shit together, and they always joke about having, you know, one night stands on dates, mm-hmm. dating a person one time only, and then that's it. Well, so Paige, actually, everything changes when she starts dating a dermatologist named Tim. And it's and he's played by Adam Brody, who was oh, on the fun. OC forever. Yeah, so he's, I mean, and he's a great guy in the movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but there's a shift that takes place. And Paige isn't as available as she once was. And that hurts Sasha's feelings. So, you know, we've all been through this. You know, either you're the Paige or you're the Sasha in this movie. Yes. You know, it hurts. It r- really, we have. Yeah. And it's a tug of war. It's like, okay, I want to spend time with my bestie, and I'm glad that she's, like, in a relationship now, but don't take away my time. And mm-hmm. that's what's happening. So Tim comes in and he kind of, like, inserts himself, like, on movie nights and dinner, and it's really frustrating for Sasha. And it's just hard because it's it's hard for her because – She's losing her friend. But she's not really losing her friend. She's just losing time with her friend. Yeah. And this is a great story because it's not about the lesbian who falls in love with her straight friend. This isn't that movie. Oh, I thought he, here. No! So you've been describing all of this. And I was like, okay, okay. So friends to lovers, bit of a love triangle because the one yep. is doing this. And <laughs> Okay, that's not where yeah. I thought somehow through all of this, Paige was going to hear like no. this big confession of love and then it was going <laughs> to unlock something in her brain that's like, and of course I've been in love with you. Right. All the- okay. And I actually thought that too. When I was watching the movie, I'm like, okay, when okay. does the shoot, when does it drop? When do we know that like they're really in love with each other? But not at all. This is just trying to adjust to having another relationship into a deep relationship. And it's funny because the movie starts off and you just see these two people, like two women bickering in a car, like one's mm-hmm. driving in front of the other and they're like, that's my parking spot. Fuck off. That's mine. <laughs> and they're like fighting. And then they, you know, the, the other person parks and they get together like, hey, good morning. And they hug and it's them, you know, yeah, and that's yeah, how yeah. it shows like they have just such a really cute, cool relationship and have for a long time. And so, you know, I mean, the acting is act it is very, very cute. Mm-hmm. And it's legit, you know, two women who respect one another and want good things for each other, but it's, but it's unrealistic to expect it to happen at the same time. Like it really is. It, like everything else in their life has happened at the same time, yeah. Except for relationships, you know. And Sasha yes. has this really bad habit of dating younger lesbians who still live at home. And Paige is like, quit dating these people. Like mm-hmm. I have somebody at work. She's a lawyer. She's super smart. And you would really get along with her. And so, but Sasha is like, don't, you can't do this, you know, just because you have all this perfection in your life, don't push it off on me. Mm-hmm. So she's fighting it. And so it's just about, it's, it's just about these, these three people who are trying to come together to keep relationships going. And I just thought it was so, it was so refreshing that it wasn't a I love you type movie. It was just about mm-hmm. strictly relationships and how you adjust 
to when somebody in your life finds another person and you know you're going to lose half the time with them. That's just the way it goes. Mm-hmm. I liked it. And it was a cute ending, too. I have a follow-up question. Yes. Because one of my favorite themes in literature, which doesn't... I haven't come across super often, but I've seen, like, one or two that are absolutely spectacular, and I'm wondering if this is similar. Does it get into the idea that platonic relationships can be just as intense as romantic relationships? For sure. And that is the whole focal point of the very beginning of the of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's like they are like they stay the night over each other's houses. I mean, they're very codependent, mm-hmm. but in a you know, I say but in a good way. <laughs> yeah. They're just they're always around one another. They do things, they check in with one another, they they talk about like stupid things and hilarious things and things that you would talk about like with your best friend. Like mm-hmm. you would definitely do this. I mean it was all everything felt so real. Mm-hmm. And truly, that's exactly what happens when you've been together, you've been best friends with somebody, and they find a partner and just trying to adjust to that, you know, to, to losing time with that person. And just, and you want to see them happy, but you don't want to lose your time, but you want to see mm-hmm. them happy and you don't want to be like an asshole about it. So, yeah, I liked it. I recommend it. That sounds great. And I, I love that. And I, I think the reason why I really love that theme is that across so, so, so much of media, and again, this is not a this is not a complaint. I don't think I would have become a book reviewer if I didn't love romance. But right. across so much of media, the most important relationships we see are either falling in love and finding that like that's your soulmate, that's your person, that's your however you put it, or it's about family, and that's the you know the oh no it's it's the bond between siblings or the bond between a parent and a child and the we're going to work through you know whatever gnarly trauma we have and then we're going to be stronger but some of the most important relationships in our lives are neither of those like you can have a wonderful relationship with your family and you can have a wonderful relationship with your partner or your spouse your whatever But there are times when there are people in your life who are neither of those things. And it is just as deep a bond. It is just as much like, I I think you can have friendship soulmates. Like, I I don't really believe in the concept of soulmates. But like, you know, like, I, I do think that that can be a thing where you just meet someone and it's just right. And when something kind of comes in the way, whether there's a breakup there or exactly what you're describing with the movie, where it's like, you know, life changes and you can't spend that time, that can be just as painful as a relationship breakup or something like that. So I kind of love that. Yeah. So life partners is, you know, the best friends. And so mm-hmm. they find a way to, to work through it and it has a happy ending. And I think if you're in the mood for a movie about relationships that isn't like super deep, has a lot of humor to it and good acting, I would recommend life partners. I'm going to have to see if it's streaming anywhere in Canada. Well, I hope it is, and I hope you enjoy it. And uh, so we talked so much about my recommendation. What is your official recommendation today? Okay, so I am going to do something that we don't typically do on this show. I am going to recommend a new TV show that I have only seen two episodes of because... As of this recording, I suppose there is one other episode that's out, but I just, I I started it. I didn't finish it yet. And the rest of the episodes aren't even out. (laughs) But I love it. (laughs) I love it so much. And Chris, oh my God, this is so going to be your jam. I think Ah! Um, it is called The Big Brunch. The Big Brunch is a reality cooking show. It is. Uh-oh. It was created by and hosted by Dan Levy, also nice. creator and star of Schitt's Creek, son of, you know, just wonderful person, Eugene Levy. And so this is kind of his big thing after uh, Schitt's Creek. And, oh my God, it's so good. It's so, so, that so good. I love amazing. it. I love it so much. And so he is one of the judges. And then the other judges are Sola Al-Wiley and Will Guadara. I am not confident that I pronounced either of their last names correctly. <laughs> um, I am sorry. I, I, yeah, I did my best. And the thing that I think is really cool about this 
is, do you remember me saying, it would have been a while back, that Dan Levy was one of the hosts of The Great Canadian Baking Show? I don't remember that. Oh my god. Okay. Side note. Chris, you should watch the <laughs> first two seasons of The Great Canadian Baking Show. Dan Levy is one of the hosts. Oh, that's amazing. You know, I've, I've looked for them, so I'll have to see if, if I can find it on, on streaming mm-hmm. um, out over here, mm-hmm. down here, I guess. So I'll have to look. But, yeah, okay. it's very much like Great British Baking Show or Great yeah, British Bake Off, but, you know, Canadian, and so the desserts are more Canadian. And I, I tend to, like, much more often when I'm watching the Canadian one, I'm like, oh, yeah, I would 100% eat that, versus there's a lot of the stuff on the British one where I'm like, never. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but I'm no. not eating it. No. Why are those cookies so hard? Why are they so crispy? No. Nope, and they're my- not cookies. They're biscuits. Yes. Well, I don't <laughs> want to eat those biscuits. So I think what he did, having seen Great Canadian Baking Show and his role in that show and having watched two episodes of this now, is I think he took, uh, like, I think he learned a lot from that and then said, what if we evolve this? And what if we focus it around the concept of brunch, which I kind of love. And so unlike, you know, Great British Bake Off, Great Canadian Baking Show, where it's like, these two are your hosts. These two are your judges. And then kind of like splitting it like that. He is the host and he and two other people are the judges. And so it makes it a little tighter in this. I'm already enjoying, even two episodes in, like I'm seeing the camaraderie building between the judges, which I, oh my God, I'm such a sucker for that kind of thing. (laughs) and. There is a pro- like there is a cash prize on this because I don't think the other two have cash prizes. I mean, mm. they can't. There are no cash prizes on TV shows in in Britain. That's just not. Right. I mean, it's the same thing on Drag Race uh, UK. They don't get the hundred thousand dollars at the end of it like they do in the states or in Canada. They instead get, I think, like a web series or something like that, just due to like UK laws. So on this show. All of the contestants are in the running for $300,000. Wow. Right? Nice. Which is incredible. So when you look at the chefs that are on it, some of them are running nonprofits. Some of them are teachers. Some of them have small restaurants. And so I'm still learning like what they're planning on using the money for. So in some cases, it's I want to open a restaurant. I want to open a cafe. For some, it's things like, I want to create a cookbook so I can bring people in and better understand my culture and where I'm coming from. And the other thing I love is there's just, it's not an entirely queer cast, but like, it's a very queer cast of contestants. And so, you know, one of them is Jay. She's Chinese Canadian, you know, moved from Toronto to Asheville, North Carolina, and like her food looks so good it was so funny there's this moment in the first episode where i actually laughed out loud because it was they so they do two rounds of things that they have to make and they're given a theme kind of for each round and at the end of the second round she went last and she had made kanji and i forget what the theme is oh i think it's like where do you see yourself going in the future kind of with your cuisine and so she made this kanji and soul is eating it and again like i said This is like the very last contestant. So the judges have tried 10 dishes at this point. And it's kind of the as it's wrapping up and about to cut away. (laughs) And Sola says, while she's like spooning up more and looking down, she goes, I'm going to eat this whole fucking bowl. And I just (laughs) laughed (laughs) so hard. And I was like, oh, I got to go find you on Instagram because I need you more of you in my life. Like you're wonderful. So. Yeah, there's Jay and, like I said, Chinese-Canadian really kind of bringing in all of those things and talking about being this, like, very visibly queer, also very out and talks about being openly queer. Kelly is there. She talks about her wife and how her wife was kind of encouraging her to maybe tone down her resting bitch face, which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) And then Katie is another one who came on and is non-binary. And the other thing I love is... It's not like, let's make a big deal. It's kind of what you were saying about the Great British Baking Show, how you were like, oh, wait, that person is queer. And Deb's like, yeah, like, and how you're saying it's not that big a deal. It's the same thing here. Like, they're just coming on. They're being chefs. Yes, they're talking about their queerness, but it's not like, let's do a spotlight on the queer people. It's queer people just living as openly queer in this competition, which I think is wonderful. It is. 
I love that this is another one of those shows where they help each other. Like when they have to bring their food up because they're making three portions, it's nobody has to go back and grab that third dish. There's always another contestant who's helping them bring their food up. Right. They're always encouraging each other. There's like, yes, sadness as somebody gets kicked off the show, but there's also like everybody's so proud of the person who gets best in brunch, which is kind of the equivalent to Star Baker. Right. And so I love that. So no, there's no bad guys. And again, I thought it was really funny. I think it was in the first episode that Sola turns to Will and says, I feel like we're we're the villains. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, a bit, but not yeah, really. Yeah, just to vote them off. Yeah, like they, they do, and they, I feel like with the way they give their, their feedback, like, yes, they are critical, but they're never cruel. Right. I love that. Yeah. They're never, uh, or at least I, I never find them to be cruel. Like, I think sometimes on Great British Baking Show that Paul Hollywood can be a real dick. I mean, I get that he's the expert, but there are times where the Mm -hmm. feedback he's giving is just like, my dude, did you have to say that that way? But he's not nearly as bad as, like, you know, Gordon Ramsay or, or something oh, no. like that, you know. So well, he, us- they all kind of laugh about it. Like, you know, this it's like this biscuit got a little dark, you know, maybe. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I, yeah, I, I guess because I've seen the other shows, the other cooking shows where even, like, Top Chef has mm-hmm. more of a sting to it than yes. the Great British Baking Show. I feel yes. like, like, yes, Maybe Hollywood does go and and say something a little zingy, but for the most part, everything you need to learn about life, you can learn from, what now, the Big Brunch, Uh like the Great British Baking Show, and Kindergarten. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Combine them and we'll all get along. I mean, that's what we need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even like when they're taking critical feedback, most of the time the contestants, they thank them for the feedback. Or they, like, they acknowledge it. And there isn't, I don't know, it's just good. It's just so good. I'm going to watch it. I'm totally going to watch it. You need to, you need to watch it. No, I will. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think this can, you know what? This can be our show because it's ongoing and we've never had a show before. We could do this. We need to do this. Yes, we need to do this. It's actually available in both countries. So if you are in Canada, so this is actually an HBO Max show. So if you're in the States, that is where you should go to check it out. If you are in Canada, that means that you are heading over to Crave. I'm sorry, people in other countries. I don't know where you go to find the big brunch, but please check your streaming service provider. And I'm sure you can find it because truly it's wonderful. And I cannot wait to see the rest of it. I have no idea who is going to be in the top four of this show. I have some thoughts. But I don't know. And also, as an aside, one of my other favorite things in the first episode, because they also, the judges, they have a bartender and they get to like request (laughs) different drinks. And in the first episode, Dan Levy requested a Caesar, which most Americans don't know about. It is a Canadian drink. It was invented in Calgary at a restaurant called Caesar's. And it's like a Bloody Mary, but instead of tomato juice, it's made with Clamato. Okay. Do you know what that is? I kind of sort of do, yes. It's like tomato juice, but there's also clam juice mixed in. Yeah. Which sounds disgusting, but when you mix it with (laughs) vodka and there's like some spices that go into it. I think there's like a tiny bit of Tabasco and there's like all these spices around the rim of the drink. It's very good. It's very much a brunch thing. That's, it's not like a, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're never gonna go to a bar and ask for a Caesar. That is not how that goes. <laughs> it's not that kind of Yeah, thing. I do I do spicy bloody marys. It's but not without, Yeah, it's yeah, not on I know. Without yeah, so but I don't I don't want clam juice in anything I eat or drink. I'm not down with seafood. You know this about me. I mean well, even if we fair. put a lot of vodka in it, I mean maybe like after six bloody marys, spicy <laughs> bloody marys, I could try one. But, like, I am not a fan of seafood at all. And, it, you know, and here's the problem. Like, I love all these shows, cooking shows. Yeah. And uh, it was funny. I did see a meme not too long ago about when you first start a cooking show, you don't know how to do anything. But by, like, the sixth episode, you're like, oh, yeah, Marjorie's using too much of of basil in this, you know, recipe. Because you think you know. I know. (laughs) Because you think you know everything. And that's me. But truthfully, Uh I don't eat meat. So, like, I could never be a judge on anything. I can never say, oh, that looks really good. 
because I don't eat meat and I don't eat seafood. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm very difficult. Then you're going to really like the... There is one chef in the show who uh, is doing all vegan. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it's very good. He did a ceviche that would have fooled them mm. if they didn't know that it wasn't actually seafood in there. He did it using mushrooms. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, I'll do mushrooms. I'll do mushrooms all day. I love mushrooms. I hate them. You can have mine. Uh, isn't that funny? I think people either love... We should do a poll. Do you love mushrooms or do you hate mushrooms? Because I don't think there's an in-between. I don't think there's like a, oh, I'll take it or leave them. I'm yeah. totally going to run a poll. When we do this, you should you should put that on Twitter and see what people say. Yes, I'm going to do a poll on Twitter and we're going to see. Well, that is all for this episode. Thank you so much to everyone who listened. If you enjoy the show and you haven't subscribed yet in your podcast app, please make sure you do so you get notified when we release a new episode. If you have a friend who you think would like Queerly Recommended and needs new queer media in their life, please, please tell them all about it. Or if you would like to support us, we have links in our show notes to our coffee and to sign up for the newsletter. Please, please sign up. Please let us know what you think of the newsletter. Or if you want to connect with us on your favorite social media sites, we have links in the show notes for that too. Or you can just search for Clearly Recommended on Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, TikTok, and Twitter if it's still around. Uh, or email us at podcast at Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.